I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. We are able to be a part of bringing children back from the brink of starvation, back to healthy growth and development and a chance at a future and a chance at a life. Our products were made to treat and prevent malnutrition, especially young children ages six months to five years. We have a two-year shelf life on all of the products. Thank you guys for joining today. I'm really happy to have you here. Why don't you both say hello? Hi. Hi, Zachary. How are you doing? I'm well. And yourself? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, my name is Rami Kausara, and I have been with Edicia for six years. It will be six years in August, and I'm the quality and regulatory manager at Edicia. Um, I do quality, and we make sure that the product uh, from start to finish is, uh, is good and uh, ready to go before it leaves our organization. And Rami, I understand that you, just, uh, you were just promoted. Is that correct? Did you That's just have a, a title change? That's correct. I was the quality control supervisor, and now I'm the quality and regulatory manager at Edicia. Well, congratulations. Thank and you very much. You're welcome. And Maria, what about you? How long have you been there, and what's your role? Sure. My name is Maria Kasparian, and I'm the executive director at Edicia. I've been with Edicia since we got started in February 2009, and so that's that's over 12 years now. Um, I was the first employee working with the founder, Naven Salem, and we started the two of us in her home with um, ideas and visions and grant writing and partnership thoughts. Um, and now today, 12 years later, I, I've played a lot of different roles along the way and feel lucky to still be here and be the executive director of this wonderful organization. And Maria, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the story behind how Edicia was started. Sure. So our founder, Naven, her father's family hails from Tanzania. They were there for several generations. And so she always had a personal connection to the continent of Africa and a certain sensitivity to particular needs um, and poverty alleviation and wanting to do something, give something back to her father's homeland. She also had a fascination and interest in business and the ability of business to do good. And this concept of social enterprise, so this idea that a business, whether for-profit or nonprofit, can be used to create a social good, create a product that's needed, while at the same time creating meaningful jobs and opportunities for individuals. So honestly, that was the first core concept. And then in doing research, in visiting Tanzania, meeting with nonprofit organizations doing work there, came to realize that nutrition was a gap area that really wasn't being focused on enough in the development space. So kind of marrying that idea of nutritional needs and too many children, way too many children still suffering from acute malnutrition and starvation, that being the need and then this passion for social enterprise, Edicia was born of that, the idea of forming a nonprofit that could manufacture specialized foods to treat and prevent malnutrition in places like Tanzania and beyond. So once the passion was there, what, what was the next step? Um, who did you reach out to or how did you go about starting the company? Sure. Well, we had a lot to learn as the two of us back in February 2009. And one of the first um, organizations we reached out to was Nutriset, who is the French company who originally invented this range of products 
along with some other partners, but in the late 1990s. So they have become, they are one of the four leading experts, of course, in ready-to-use therapeutic foods, as they are known. The brand name that's best well-known is called Plumpy Nut. They developed those and then piloted them with various um, organizations in the field over the early 2000s. By the by the mid-2000s, it was accepted widely by the powers that be in nutrition, so the World Health Organization, the Standing Committee on Nutrition, UNICEF, the World Food Program, that these types of products were the best, best case standard of care for children with severe acute malnutrition to rehabilitate them and cure them. So at that point, Nutraset started licensing out their technology to other suppliers, primarily in developing countries where these products are used. So they first had a partner in Niger, in Niamey. They then had a partner in um, Ethiopia, so Helena Foods and STA. And then from there, there's about a dozen. So there are partners in uh, Burkina Faso, Guinea, Nigeria, Sudan, Madagascar, India, Haiti, and a partner in the United States, which is Adesia. So we reached out to them to form that kind of licensee relationship and also to access a technology transfer and training from them to understand how to best make these products. Because though they are not complex in terms of number of ingredients necessarily, there is a lot of technology that goes into making sure that these products are shelf stable, that they are nutritionally perfect for these very specific important needs and that they are microbiologically safe um, for this vulnerable population that they're serving. And Rami, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the products um, themselves and, and really who the target consumers are today. Sure. So as Maria mentioned, our products as uh, were made to treat and prevent malnutrition, especially young children ages six months to five years. Those who are most at risk of malnutrition and most in need of treatment. Um, additionally, we have products that are specialized ready to eat food for vulnerable population, um, such as pregnant and lactating moms, people living with HIV. So our partners, um, such as UNICEF, WFP, and USAID, to, we, we partner with them to distribute basically the products that we make. And Maria, you mentioned that these products are only composed of just a few ingredients. Can you talk a little bit more about those ingredients and what really makes your products unique? How are you hitting that long shelf life that you mentioned before? Mm -hmm. So the core ingredients of our range of products are peanuts, soy, uh, vegetable oils, milk, both milk powder and whey, vitamins and minerals. Um, those are the main ingredients. So in different balances, of course, according to different formulations, one of the things that makes the product unique is, is in the name itself, ready to eat therapeutic or ready to eat supplementary foods. They're ready to eat because they're, they're shelf stable. They don't require any um, reconstitution with water. They don't require any cooking. That does mean that the packaging and preparation is important for the shelf life. So they're packaged in a metallized polyester that has very low oxygen transfer um, and is opaque. They are also nitrogen flushed. Um, and they're, and we also have very specific standards around things like water activity, which I know we're going to talk more about today. 
<laughs> yeah, we're headed headed that direction. <laughs> um, but I, I want to understand, you know, by using the nitrogen flushing and by using the correct packaging and, and the correct water activity, what type of shelf life are, are you seeing for these products? How how long does that last? Yeah, so we uh, we have a two year shelf life on all of the products, and that's under pretty hot, humid conditions. So two years is, um, you know, at 30 degrees Celsius or below, which is about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, we also do shelf stability studies on all the products at, you know, both 30 and 40 degrees Celsius to see how they do. But two years is basically what we're looking at for shelf life. And, so and you mentioned, a, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say they've got a long, long journey to, to make. I mean, Rami mentioned our partners. We are the beginning of the journey. We're always working with partners like UNICEF, the World Food Program, USAID, and then their, you know, nonprofit and and government um, health system partners. So the journey only begins here in Rhode Island. It continues far across the world. And the shelf life is really critical because the journey itself may take several months and then it's often going to have to make a journey to a remote clinic somewhere where it they also need to know that that supply can last for um, a long period of time. And you mentioned the term ready to use therapeutic products. Is this same as is this the same as a, a meal replacement product or a supplement, or is this something completely different? So it's not. It's a little bit different. Um, it's not really considered as a meal replacement. Um, they're considered as therapeutic and supplementary foods, depending on which food you're talking about. If you're talking about plumpy nut, which is a ready-to-use therapeutic food, it's it's more like a medical food. Um, in some countries, it's considered as a essential medicine. In some countries, it's considered as a food. We kind of are the line between food um, and and pharma. So during a treatment period, so a child that has severe acute malnutrition, their body does need very intensive rehabilitation before they can eat other foods again. So during a treatment, they will be eating about three of these 92 gram packets per day for an average of about seven weeks. Obviously, this varies a little bit by context and the health situation of the child. But during that time, this is meeting all of their caloric um, and nutritional needs, in addition to water and/or breast milk, depending on what is available. Um, whereas the rest of our products, which are either supplementary or complementary, those are they are looked at as supplements or complements to whatever is already available in the diet. So something like a plumpy doze or a NutriButter, maybe one per day, in addition to the staple foods um, that are available. So with a porridge or with rice or context specific depending what's available in the community and they are adding some you know nutrition density they're adding some protein fat calories that that are probably lacking in the diet and rami i, I want to ask you a question about the packaging because I, I understand that the packaging relates to the extent of malnutrition and that helps to make sure that the right products is, is being consumed can you talk a little bit about the packaging and how you came up with the the color of the packaging for each of your products? Sure. So our packaging basically matches uh, the Miwok tape, and it's basically a tape that is used uh, to measure the extent of malnutrition. So they usually measure use it to measure the mid-upper arm uh, circumference. So basically, when you have that, it will show you if it needs plumpy dose 
or like uh, if it needs Plumpina or RUSF, which is type of some of our products. So if it's um, in the red area, it will be uh, severe acute malnutrition. If it's the orange zone, it will be moderate um, malnutrition. And then in the green area for like the babies that need like some supplements uh, with, their, with the breastfeeding from their mom. Yeah, I really like how straightforward you've made that and how you've re related it to the tape and to the extent of malnutrition. That, that makes a lot of sense. Just so to clarify, it's a global standard now. So it's not only Adesia, it's something that actually took a good amount of time for the global community to, to harmonize on. But, but you're absolutely right. It helps for sure with diagnosis and clarity in the field to know that red is severe acute malnutrition and yellow and orange is, is moderate acute malnutrition. And then green is the healthy range, but some kind of supplement or complement might be needed if there's a food insecurity challenge. Yeah. Thank, thank you for clarifying that. When when did that happen? When did everyone agree that, yes, the, these were the colors and this is the way that we're going to move forward? <laughs> Good question. It's It's been more than five years now. I, I want to say it's like seven, eight years ago. Um, and it was a big effort, not just with the colors, but also to harmonize the packaging so that everyone's package has, you know, no matter what producer all over the world, there's about 25 to 30 global producers and that anyone who's making RUTF has to have a thick red band across the package. Um, and, you know, as an example, but that is harmonized and that happened probably, probably around seven years ago now. And uh, I want to dive back into kind of the food science of, of these products and now get to water activity that we mentioned earlier. And Rami, I was wondering if you could tell us when water activity became an, an essential measurement for these products. So before 2015, the regulations were set to be concerned with the upper limit uh, for water activity. And there was initially there was no lower limit and the upper limit had to be lower than 0.6 to control microbial growth. In 2015, the, the food technologist at, at USAID introduced a lower limit as well because they, they started to get concerned about the increased uh, levels of oxidations when going below the point, the point two. So we understand that water activity is one of the most uh, used criteria for quality as, as you're aware and food safety. And there is a, a direct connection between water activity and shelf stability and obviously retaining vitamins and minerals. Yeah, I, I think that lipid oxidation is, is kind of a tricky thing because as you get really low in water activity, you can actually have an increased lipid oxidation rate. And I'm not sure that everyone always always realizes that. So would you say that your range of water activity is maybe 0.2 to 0.5 or, or what point range? Two. 0.2 to 0.5. We always make sure to it does not exceed the 0.6 because we don't want any microbial growth, and obviously we don't want also to go below the 0.2. And we we have seen some of that in uh, in the in the winter when there is a seasonal fluctuation that we start like seeing the the water activity goes below the 0.2. And what types of instruments have you used to to measure water activity? Are you using a, a handheld device, a, a benchtop device? What does that process look like? Uh, we used to use the handheld device and we moved away from that and we start we we now uh, have the 40e pinch top device and it's provided by meter group and and why make that upgrade why go from handheld to bench top so when originally we start when we were doing the bench that when we were doing the ha handheld device we received a customer complaint and we had some um, 
some issues uh, measuring the uh, war activity. And to improve the accuracy of the results, we moved away and we started using the Benchtab one, which is uh, 0.003 accuracy. And the turnaround time also on it is uh, it's much quicker than the, the other one. And with that quicker turnaround time, when are you looking at water activity? Is this something that you look at in process or for finished products or during shelf life testing? When are you using that instrument? So we do it. We do the analysis once per shift and three times every day to ensure that obviously we have control over over the product and the water activity. Um, and, and I want to turn back to you, Maria. And you know, now that we kind of have a better understanding of your products and who they're going to. I'm wondering if you're doing anything for the domestic market here in the U.S. Yeah, great question. That is something newer for us. Um, since day one, people have always asked us, well, that's great that you're helping helping malnourished people and kids abroad, but we have problems here too in the U.S. What are you doing here? And for many years, we, we said we're not. We're really focused internationally where where there are more acute needs. But that said... There are there are certain needs in the U.S. and in the over the last few years, we came to realize that we were well positioned to also help meet some of those needs, namely in a few areas. So one of the needs is in regards to peanut allergies in the United States, and we have a new product. It's called Miwi Baby, and that's to be it's a healthy snack that is a good peanut introduction for young children. So we realized kind of the research and pediatric advice around introduction of allergens was really turned on its head a few years back. So the advice of avoiding allergens for long periods of time or until a child was older um, really switched. And now the, now the advice is that allergens like peanuts should be introduced earlier at four to six months and then regu at regular intervals to actually help decrease significantly the incidence of peanut allergy. So in light of that, we realized, well, one thing we're really experts at is making peanut-based products for young kids. That's what we do. Um, and there, there weren't a lot of products like that available in the domestic market. Now there are a few, um, one of which is ours. Um, so we developed a product like that for, for kids. And it's a, they're different flavored. It's a flavored peanut butter that's also a consistency that's easy to swallow um, safely for a young child. And so that that's for one. Additionally to that, um, there are different nutritional needs in the U.S., um, whether that's, you know, you want a healthy fortified snack on the go that is protein and also fortified with vitamins and minerals, and or you need nutritional support because you're recovering from a health condition or you're not growing fast enough as a child. So things like um, Boost or Ensure, those kind of Drinks are available in, in the United States for sure, but there aren't a lot of other options um, if you're looking for alternatives. So we created an option both for kids and for adults that are similar uh, nutritionally in terms of filling that kind of need, but in a completely different format. So they are their peanut um, spreads that are flavored. Um, you've got snickerdoodle or chocolate brownie or, you know, fun, different fun flavors and also lower sugar than many of those drinks. Um, but another, another alternative for, for people that are looking for that kind of supplement. So we have started selling these products 
on the market here in the U.S., and we also have donated them through food banks and other channels, um, carrying through our, our mission really is to treat and prevent malnutrition for vulnerable populations. So that fit for purpose type of nutrition work still carries through to what we do domestically. So just to clarify, the MeWe product is for kid nutrition, but also adults. And then you're also working for an early peanut introduction in, in babies. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. And then the other aspect of it is that we want to use the commercial products in the U.S. to also help spread awareness and raise funds for the work that we do internationally, because the needs are large. And especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, the, the needs did not decrease. They had increased significantly. Um, so we want to look at different things we can do to raise awareness and raise funds for those who are most vulnerable and who can really be helped by by nutritional supplements. So that's that's the other aspect of why the United States. And how has Adesia been able to deal with the impacts of COVID? How, how has this impacted your company, especially with things like logistics and supply chain? You know, it, it hasn't been an easy year for anyone, and we are part of that. It has not been an easy year, but I'm proud proud to say we have been able to endure and overcome most of that. Um, we were able to stay up and running throughout the entire pandemic. Um, we consider ourselves, and we, we are considered as an essential business, as someone who is manufacturing, manufacturing foods and foods that are often life-saving foods. So we did stay open, but we had to modify a lot of things. We had to, we shortened our shifts. We seg we segregated shifts. We put in cleaning and extra cleaning and sanitation shifts um, in between to help prevent, you know, spread or potential spread at Adesia. In terms of supply chain, we increased all of our safety stocks of, of raw materials because for risk, there were a lot more risks of interrupted supply. Um, we didn't know if any of our suppliers would be shut down. So we had to increase all of those safety stocks. You mentioned logistics and trucking. That as well um, was higher higher risk. Again, we had to add more time because we didn't know when there would be delays. And there were sometimes delays. Costs also went up. Um, so those are things we had to account for um, and work with. But all in all, we got our way through 2020 and into 2021. And we are feeling more hopeful and more resilient and that we have been able to normalize kind of in a new normal, which is still cautious and is still extra careful. Um, but we've adapted our system so that we, we can still function and we can still do the work that we do and make sure that supplies are not interrupted where they're needed all over the world. And Rami, what's, what were some of the impacts that you've seen on your side, you know, from your perspective and, and quality? How has COVID impacted your position um, and looking at these products and, and getting them out the door? Uh, as Maria mentioned, um, from like quality standpoint, we had to increase our sanitation activities, segregate the shifts and make sure that uh, people maintain social distancing. It was um, hard because a lot of uh, the supply chain um, 
got disturbed. So sometimes we had like some delays with test testing the product be because uh, every batch we make, we need to ensure that um, we send some samples to the lab to be tested, to clear the batch and then can be sended. We have can be sent. So we had a lot of delays in terms of uh, testing, but um, we were able to maintain our supplies. It was uh, challenging, but um, we we were able to do it. Well, I'm glad you guys have been able to kind of push forward and, and you know, make the shifts that you need to. I, I think the work that you do is is really impactful, and um, I, I'm really happy to have you guys here today. Um, my last question for each of you, I'll start with you, Rami, is what, why do you love coming to work every day? What makes you proud uh, to be a part of Edicia? That's actually a great question. Um, first, diversity. Uh, there are 27 spoken languages at Edicia, which is uh, which is an amazing thing. Here at Edicia, you feel a sense of belonging. The ma management team also ensures to recruit from the refugee population. So uh, we also ship the products that we make all over the world. So to countries where um, many of the staff members are from. I have seen our products back when I was in Syria and I have seen the change that they make. My job provides me with a sense of purpose as it is not just a job for me. It, it, is, uh, it is more like a mission that has a meaningful purpose. And Maria, same question. Why do you love coming to work with this company every day? And what makes you part or proud to be a part of your team? So many things. But uh, above all, the ability to be able to work with a team of people who are passionate and mission-driven, as Rami was saying, people that have a common mission and something that's bigger than ourselves, we know and we have pictures all over Adicia of, of children from all over the world and from the U.S. And to know, to see those faces and to know that we are able to be a part of bringing children back from the brink of starvation back to healthy growth and development and a chance at a future and a chance at a life, that just puts everything else in the world back in perspective and makes you realize that all those tests are worth it. All those challenges are worth it. Everything, logistics, headaches are worth it. Everything's worth it because you are with a team helping to create life opportunities for kids that wouldn't have them otherwise. So that, to me, that's just the, the best thing in the world. And post-COVID, I would invite, you know, listeners, anyone who's interested to come to our facility. We are an open facility. We invite people to come in, learn more about what we do. Um, we do we do educational tours. Um, Rami will show you the lab. And uh, we like to educate because it starts with, like, we really believe it's a small world and everything matters. And every single person, like, educate yourself, spread awareness, donate when you can, volunteer when you can, reach out to Congress when you can. Like anything really does make a difference. And I think that's what seeing all the kids' faces um, does for me and knowing knowing that these foods are life-changing and life-saving and that we can all be a part of it no matter where we are. The world, as I said, is small and very interconnected. And that's an amazing thing. 
Well, I'll, I'll definitely be signing up for a tour someday. So I, I hope to be there and, Please and do. see the lab, Rami, and, and get for to sure. meet both of you. So I, I just want to say thank you guys so much. I, I love learning about um, new products and, and companies like yours. And, you know, it makes me proud to know that uh, a small part of your process is, is water activity and, and helping to ensure the safety and quality of these products. So Rami and, and Maria, thank you again for being on this episode. Thank, Thank you. you very much for inviting us too. All right, see you guys. See you. Bye-bye. I'm Zachary Cartwright. This is Water and Food. Find this podcast on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.